when I wake up in the morning, the happiest day I have, usually most people, it's Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. My most exciting day is a Monday because that's when I get to refresh and start over and to really kind of push other projects forward to make sure that my impact is um, meaningful and that my impact is not about me, but my impact actually exceeds far beyond me. Hello, this is Barbara St. Clair, and I am your host today for Arts In, also known as AI, the podcast sponsored by Creative Pinellas. And today my guest is the amazing and wonderful Yala Ford, who is an artist of both local, national, and regional, and I should say international <laughs> renown, because one of the first things we're going to talk to Ya about today is her recent trip to Asia. But before we do that, Ya, you are an artist, but rather than have me define what kind of artist you are, I'd like you to uh, tackle that a little bit and tell us what kind of artist you are. Sure. First off, thank you for having me. You know, I love the Creative Pinellas uh, family. I feel like we're lucky to have you in the arts, Barbara. You're amazing. Thank you for all you contribute. And um, I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So as an artist, um, they kind of put this box around me to do what I think I was born to do. Um, I create, I've been creating way before, I guess they could call me an artist. My mom was reminding me the other day that when I was very small, she gave me a bunch of Barbies and from a very early age, I was installing them on the tree. So, you know, it's your viewpoint of things and how you can uh, use these uh, various objects in order to create something. Now my creative uh, spirit drives the community and um, I do installations. I'm a painter, muralist. Um, they like to call me sometimes and um, a community advocate, along with being a professor. Very cool. So you spent most of the summer, if I'm correct, overseas in... Uh... In Asia, yes. I, uh, I went to uh, Thailand first and spent a couple of weeks in Bangkok. I spent most of my time in Thailand, even though I was in China too. I had a residency there where I was able to install a floating labyrinth which I made out of African cloths and I sewed kites together and hung them in the air for a permanent installation, um, which is really nice because the area and the Thailand people are just so amazing. They are so embracive. Um, they are so spiritual. So when you're there, you can physically feel connected with the universe as connected as I feel I am already am with the universe. I, I found myself being further intertwined. And then after that, I went to China, Beijing, and while I was in uh, battling, we did a video uh, installation off of the Great Wall. And uh, this video installation in involved uh, Chinese children. And uh, I really got to push the um, the community measures and you know, I found the Chinese children to be and want the exact same thing as American children, of course. And that's why I love kids and they're so intertwined in my artwork because I find them to be at such an innocent place before they've been molded into darkness or before they've seen anything that's, you know, um, depressing. They're just in this, this wholesome space where they can um, really 
get excited over colors, get excited over someone else's excitement over art. They can, you know, I feel like that's where we can really start to focus in on making a change in our future, kind of going back to our youth. That's why I always try to reach out to the community at any point. That pretty much is the fast version of the time that I spent in Asia. It was um, amazing, but it was, I guess, the conclusive statement that I'll make is that it really was, um, it confirmed a lot of things that, you know, I talk about in my art practice, interconnectivity and how we're all connected. And that was even further uh, cemented while I was there because you have uh, such, um, you know, here it is, these people who we don't speak the same language you find little glimmers of them just holding eyes with you and you speak to them silently. And, you know, in this quest that I have to find this universal language, I find that, wow, okay, so this is really happening. And when you're creating there, their ability to interact with the art that you're creating is something very magical. So you've given me so much that I want to dig a little bit deeper into, um, you talked about a floating installation and kites. So we're obviously an audio media right now. Yes. Uh, we will have some pictures up on our site. I'll send it to, to you for at. sure. Yes. But tell me a little bit about what that, try to paint a picture for me of what that floating installation looks like and how you hang kites and why it's floating and what your purpose was in, in what you're communicating. Sure. That's that. such a great question. So when you think of a maze or a labyrinth, most people think about walking through it. And I find that, you know, most of my artwork, a lot of people don't know is about me being high and looking down and figuring out how we interconnect and intersect, right? So I decided to hang the artwork being that I wasn't going to mail myself paints. I was really going to inhibit myself from what I typically do, which is paint. I um, wanted to, I decided that I'd collect um, African fabric. A lot of people don't know that I sew and I quilt. And um, that is what I did. I took needle and thread and uh, would sew out with the fishermen every day. So while they fished, I sewed. And um, I actually started to use some of their um, fishing cords because I found that to be stronger. So there's little things that bits and pieces that I was taking from the community and the little kids in Thailand were bringing me pieces of pieces of fabric that I would sew in there. So there's pieces and trickles of them inside of it. And if I found pieces of hair, I kind of put it in there too. But if you could imagine, it is um, a maze that I sewed together out of all these fabrics. And I said, you know, I don't have, I don't have what it takes to stretch it. So what will I do? So I started to think about, okay, so stretching it wide after I did one of them, it reminded me of a kite. I was like, what do kites do? Kites fly. So I decided to make a bunch of kites and put them together. And then it be, this, this kite then became intertwined with the next kite and that kite became intertwined with the next one. So if you can think about looking up, it would almost look like a chessboard, but in the sky. So I kind of painted this labyrinth in the sky without paint. And without a canvas. So, and um, it was in a marketplace that they gave me the space. So I could have done anything with the space, but it's a place where people and um, a lot of the, uh, the spiritual and religious leaders walk through this space. 
So I wanted to also hone in on this space between heaven and hell or the space between whatever you want to call it. You know, I'm very open and, you know, I'm very universal. So I hate to just call it heaven and hell because there's so many different names for what the universe has it, but whatever you relate to. So I wanted to create this connection between the universe and the land and um, those walking through. So this kind of space that I created was really addressing um, that. That's what I was thinking about when I created it. And um, what does it mean to hang something and be able to look at it and physically see it, but not be able to touch it? So like, those are the things that I was kind of thinking about too. So one of the things that really jumped out at me as you were talking was that the idea for the final work seems to have grown organically from your actual tactile experience. You didn't come and say, I have this space and I'm going to have kites. You came and said, I, I'm not sending paint, so I'm going to have to deal with something else. And that as you started that process right at the beginning, the story unfolded for you rather than pre-existing story. Absolutely. It was really serendipitous. And, you know, um, though my, my artwork seems very organized, there is, I leave a lot of it to chance. And I think that there's no such thing as a mistake. And there's just, um, beautiful marks and beautiful, uh, beautiful humps and beautiful. And I, I use that as a metaphor in life too. I think humanity is this, um, special place where, you have ups and downs and in the middle and you even places where seams where you may be going through something that may seem like a mistake. There is some beauty that you can find in everything. So I try to correlate that. And when I got there, I decided, you know, I, I started to um, think about what else I could do. I was initially going to go there and, and make paint, which I've done before. And because I know how to mix paint and turn... um. I know how to turn pigments or um, dirt into pigmentation and how to use dyes. So I initially was going to go and batik, and, but I wasn't tied to anything. So you're right. You picked up on something that's really special. I decided I was going to make it very organic and be and make it more about the surrounding and the experience than even about me or my art practice. So I'm wondering if you had an opportunity to talk to people about what you were doing while you were doing it and if uh, people started to understand what you were doing or how did how did you engage with people? So, Because as I'm listening to you, I don't get a, a sense of an American plopping themselves down and doing busy work, blah, blah, blah. I get this sense of an artist coming to a location and somehow tapping into something. And so I'm thinking that you must have had some opportunities to share with people what you, you were doing and what your thought process was. You know, it's interesting. There um, was a lot of people who did speak English and a lot of people who did not. And I kind of challenged myself to try to learn what it is that they were saying or doing. But like I mentioned before, a lot of my work is trying to find this universal language, right? So it's more important for me to have them experience the artwork and for me to then figure out how, whether it was impactful or not. So it the, the art is less for me and more for them. So I went there with that positioning. It was it wasn't about me. It was about them and and then and sharing a piece of myself with them so that they could then interact with 
all of me in that space. And um, though I'm an American and though I was born in Bronx, New York, you know, my parents are Jamaican. So I feel like I'm bringing my family, myself, my history, and then my experience, my lived experience in America to them and then being able to unfold it right there. And when you're open to that, you get to learn more about them too, because then they want to bring me things and they want to learn. And before I was done, a lot of the pieces that I could connect were from other people that lived in that village that would then bring it to me and say, look what I've created. Can you use this? And I got to create a far bigger piece just based on contributions because everyone was open to sharing and exchanging. And there was this real authentic um, communication without words. It was, um, it, it really transcends really, um, you know, your human and psychological understanding. So it took me a while to really wrap my mind around what the experience was while I was having it. Cause it's kind of like out of body. You're kind of watching yourself share yourself. But then when you really get comfortable into that situation, it's a whole nother thing. Um, my experience in China was a bit different. They're a bit more abrasive, but there's still so much success and beauty in China that I was inspired by. They're really far more advanced than most Americans know. Um, their architecture, their buildings, um, what they're thinking about, what they're doing is so advanced. Um, I mean, in Beijing, we uh, got to see things that, I, you know, I wasn't expecting them to have McDonald's. I wasn't expecting them to have a Hilton. I wasn't expecting them to have these higher end um, amenities, but they have it. And um, there's so many people enjoying it and, and living above and beyond. And their standard of living is just um, increased over the past decade in a way that I, it's, it's unbelievable. So it, it, going there and um, seeing that and being impacted by that was one thing. The other thing was, you know, going to Bataling and going to the Great Wall was a whole nother breathtaking and memorable experience because here it is, you're at this wall that is so many years old and it is so long. You think that it's like just in your mind, you're like, wait a minute, so this is like, how long does it take you to get there? They're like, well, this thing you could drive for weeks. And I'm like, what? Okay, yeah, like you can keep on going and going and going. It like it to think that a human being was living and created and kept on creating and kept on creating. And then you look at it from above. It's just unbelievable. So and you think about the dynasties and the creation and just all of the ancient history there. And um, overall, it's just been and outstanding and an immeasurable because I'm not sure. I think that it's affected me for sure, but I can't really pinpoint and I don't really want to. So you said you did a video and you did something with children. Can you share a little bit more about sure. what that is? So my sponsor, um, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, um, vague about that one because that will be a show. And um, my sponsor kind of wants me to be low key about that until it gets actually shown. But I will, I, I'll kind of give you some of the details. So it's all about flight and float and floating. And I was able to 
take objects and see how they interacted with the wall. And um, the kids were able to help me with that part. Oh, that's so intriguing. That's a tease, you know. Yes, that's a real it's tease. a little tease. <laughs> First, you talked about your floating installation. Then you talked about creating pieces. And another word for pieces, obviously, is objects. And that was your kite. So it what really jumped out at me is flight and, you know, objects and floats. There's something going on for you as an artist about lifting and air and floating and somehow the I, I think three-dimensional you're definitely um you're definitely gravitating to the right place i think that you know as i grow and explore as an artist um my artwork continues to grow and i think also you know my 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 niece uh, and my goddaughter she uh was um diagnosed with cancer and as my family had to prepare for her journey and her fight, which uh, she survived the battle through chemotherapy, um, it really had me start to think about mortality and what it means to float, what it means to, you know, not be so grounded. What does it mean to live that through my artwork? Um, I am very close with my family and I love my family very much. Um, but it's um, this place of looking at humanity and when we're not so egotistical and looking at, you know, where we are right then and right here and how healthy we are. And we start to connect with someone else who's not healthy at the moment or fighting for life. It takes you to a place where you can actually get a bit more um, less tactile. So I started to let go of what I felt grounded me so much as an artist, which is like, you know, I'm a painter's painter. I love the way it smells or like the way it moves on canvas. I like the way it sinks through the material. I'm like a materiality girl. So for me to put myself in that kind of uncomfortable space, I was able to do because of the bravery of my niece. And um, it, it's an interesting reflection that one day she may be able to look and reflect and see herself through my artwork. Um, there's something else I did too through that. I recently did a mural on the back of the Maureen. We did a, a very large immersive mural. That piece is called The Golden Wave. And that piece is a direct tribute to, to Layla. And um, I wrote a book that's based upon that mural called Muralopia. And Muralopia is all about five families, all different colors. Um, each one is told by their family that if they share their colors, they're going to get dull. The kids get together and find Violet, who is Violet, and her parents were two different colors. So Violet helps gather the other kids, and they understand that through blending colors is when the real and true magic happens. And um, so I wrote this book and then did a call to the community. And these kids that I called for will be the ones who create the, the characters or the illustration. And we have right now over 100 applications to review and the people who are, will review it are kids in the community. So this book is all about intertwining you know, my words then with their creativity and driving, which is a driving force to imagination. And, um, you know, what I think is the most important tribute that I could leave to my niece. So you have a large mural called The Golden Wave on the backside of the Maureen Art Center. Uh-huh. 
based on that mural, which is a tribute to your niece, you wrote a book. Muralopia. And that book is about five families. And so you've written the story, and now you're recruiting in the community for children to create visual versions of the characters or illustrations? Yeah, yeah they have. We, I, we have over 100 right now. They'll all be in the book in one way or another because no one's a loser ever with me. And so this book will actually be a book that you can, let's say, go to Amazon and order? For and... sure. For sure. Well, that's very exciting. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. I'm I'm excited about it. You know, um, one of the last interviews that I did with uh, PBS, the lady called me an author and I was like, well, not really, but okay. <laughs> I was like, I was kind of just putting my words and thoughts down. And, um, you know, I kind wanted to make sure that I left her a tribute. What else do you have in your pipeline, so to speak? Ooh, so I have, um, I'll tell you some of what I have. The first thing is um, I have another large scale mural that I'm doing in Bradington for Connect Bradington. And I am starting a project with the housing authorities all over the country where we're going to be immersing art with housing. Wow. First installations where I was, where I jumped off my canvas and onto the wall was at Dr. Carter G. Woodson, which is in housing authority, which is kind of in section eight housing. That's what a lot of people don't know. And um, the reason why I picked that location is so that um, my people could have access to fine art access that they would not typically have interaction with this immersive interactive work that they could actually walk through and kind of connect in a way that I felt the community deserved. So access to fine art. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Why is that important? And uh, specifically also you use the word fine art versus art. And I don't know exactly what that distinction might be. So there is the um, aesthetic of fine art and the, you know, the long history and the study of engaging yourself in this um, so-called aesthetic of fine art. So I I have a typical degree, Master's of Fine Arts, where, you know, it would make me semi establishment where my art gets put up in an institution called a museum where art is shown for the sedity of society. And I'm okay with that. That's a part of my, my artwork is created for that. However, there is an entire population of people that do not have access to that layer of art, um, be it education, be it, um, in, you know, I think it's all about education, but be it access, um, be it that their parents don't have the time to take them because they're working, be it, um, there's so many different uh different scenarios. However, from a very early age, my parents, my mom being a second grade teacher in a public school system in Broward County, my dad being an engineer, um, taught us really early, you know, as first generation Americans, that, you know, understanding your community is really important. My dad built a program called SECME where he is an engineer and used his craft, which would be his materials being engineering and introduced it to, you know, underprivileged kids in his community in order to get them access to engineering. 
And through these programs, he is able to um, fund many of these kids going through college and building engineers in the uh, in these various communities. So on on Saturdays, when other kids would be relaxing or, you know, spending time with their friends, my parents had us volunteering for SECME where we had, and there, it, therein lies a little secret that many don't know about me, but um, I was very good at math and sciences, which is, when you look at my artwork, probably why it's so mathematical and has a lot of engineering aspects to it. And it's um, really, I feel, a very much a circle of life. And let me tell you how. My mom's a teacher. My dad's an engineer. In my art practice, not only do I teach, but I also now have so much engineering in my practice. I mean, now, you know, I'm working with another project that I'm working on that has been a little bit longer in the making is David Adaji, who is uh, who just recently built the Smithsonian Museum, the African-American Smithsonian Museum. I'm working with him in order to um, do another project in New York. Oh. And that is uh, actually a sculptural accent. So it's going to be a metal piece that has the shape of, that I built out the shape of uh, Newark in a pattern, a maze-like pattern, um, you know, kind of centered around this interconnective theme that I have. But um, again, I've had to use many of the engineering skills that my dad taught me um, in order to build. That's why I think it's funny that you said, you know, now you're getting a little bit more builder-like and 3D and um, you're kind of moving up and out, which is, I think, you know, art kind of morphs into these various shapes and forms. And um, it's uh, been quite the experience. me a great segue because you were talking about your childhood mm -hmm. and um, I'm not sure that that many people know that you also went to law school. Yeah. So not only do you have math and science <laughs> and not only do you have art, but you have jurisprudence as I, well. I, I do. I have a juris doctorate and yeah, you know, a lot of people think that when I say I have a law degree or I went to law school, yeah, I actually graduated and I graduated top of my class. Um, my uh, brother looked at, you know, the pamphlet that they give you and he's like, is there a star next to your name? Does it really say that you graduated cum laude? And I was like, I think so. Um, and I think half of that was because of the way I could creatively um, navigate any story or situation. Law school became really interesting to me because of the analytical perspective. Um, I naturally love reading. And I naturally have an inclination to um, like creative stories. So I just made it a huge storytelling session for three years and was able to really survive, do well, and understand how to legally think about things. And I think that it has created a tremendous, um, a tremendous uh, sort of way that I go about thinking about my art practice. So when I initially graduated from law school, I worked at DC Education Office. So I lobbied for education. And that is um, as legal as I got before getting right back to getting my master's in um, fine arts. 
which I don't know that I would have done if I didn't go through law school. So by going through law school, it made me a lot more obsessive. It made me have a different form of work ethic. And also, I think most importantly, it it really puts my um, art in a position where it can affect socially how we live. And um, the social justice aspect of my artwork, I think that that comes from not only my parents, but, you know, going through the judicial system and understanding how desperately other humans need us and that it's not just about us. And, you know, most artists you'll find um, art making being a very uh, selfish and um, self-consuming sort of practice. And um, I think that the going through the system and working through child welfare as an intern, I you get to really understand how desperately people need you, whether you are a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, an artist, a musician, it doesn't matter where you are, but if you found your place, it's so important that you share your gifts with other people who don't know what theirs are. And um, I find that that is inspiring to other people. And if we find that space where we can look beyond just ourselves, it's so rewarding. Like my students and the teaching that I do, um, they give me more than I could ever give to them. Hearing them speak, listening to their awareness, they teach me about what matters to them. They teach me to think outside of what I'm thinking about. And um, they give me different perspective. Um, and it's constantly so humbling. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. Because everybody is a source. And everybody brings their whole level of experience, all their years behind them and, and their future as well. So I'm thinking about your artwork and some of the pieces I've seen. And, and certainly I feel that if I see your work, even before I know it's yours, I recognize it as a Yala Ford work. There are some sort of concepts or visuals, visual presentations that I see tracking through um, different pieces. But what I wanted to ask you is, what are you looking for an audience to see in your work? I'm looking for you to see the human experience. I'm looking for, I'm seeking a universal language. So I'm seeking for you to open your mind and space and go to a different place that you're not normally thinking of. I'm thinking of what is the power of art. I'm considering um, Rothko, Mark Rothko, and what he was doing with the space and transforming space and time and bringing other human beings into a space and kind of pausing it for a second so that you can take yourself out of your daily routine and really just kind of be at peace with that space with a piece? How can I make an artwork that transforms a space? How can I make an artwork that can make a difference? How can I make an artwork that other people are connected to, engaged to, that want to? um, These are the things that I'm thinking about. Um, But what happens is very independent and I don't want to force that either. You know, there. Um, whether I think that art starts a beautiful conversation, 
I don't think that everyone should love my work. I don't think everyone should hate my work. I think that as long as you have a feeling, that's a beginning part. And um, that is what excites me about the power of art, that it engages feelings, it engages emotions, it drives inspiration. Um, I think that most of all that I'm hoping for it to spark some form of conversation. So I know in terms of conversation, there's quite a number of up and coming artists in the St. Petersburg and Pinellas County area who look up to you and uh, are sort of honoring you for what you've brought to the table and what you continue to bring to the table, but are also kind of curious, I guess, about what's the internal driver and, you know, to sort of put it very bluntly, how do you do it? How do you wake up every day and, and have the energy and do your artwork and take care of yourself and speak to the community? You know, it's funny, I'm sitting next to uh, Babs Ringgold and her husband asked a question in the audience, you know, do any of, do, do, does any of you have family? that you know is a part of this and I think half of the reason I can be here and what drives me is my my husband and um, his devotion to my success and um, Yala Ford as um, an international space and not just be about me but live on far beyond you know my life and my breath right here and that it can whisper on far after I'm gone. Um, with respect to other people um, and how they feel about me, I'm always humbled by that because I think that I'm only, I'm only doing what I feel I was born to do. So to be acknowledged or to, for people to be um, admirers of me, I would just say I admire them because um, they have very much within them what I have. And um, I'm just, I, I just work hard and uh, do my best to uh, try to um, make everyone around me proud. It's, um, I, at one point it was my parents, at another point it was my husband. Now it's just humanity. We're here for so long. I wanna live and make sure I had a purpose while I was here. And that um, my conclusion is epic. And, you know, I don't think, um, I don't, I always, whenever I tell my mom that, it, you know, if something was to happen, like the other day, there was a tree that collapsed in my backyard that could have killed us. I told my mom, I said, if something happened to me, mom, literally, I lived the best life. I got to see everything. I got to live my dreams. And my mom's like, you're not going anywhere right now. Why are you talking about this? And the point I'm getting to is, I think that is what I want to encourage everyone to do. Live life to the fullest, have no regrets. I have not one. And um, I think that that's what drives me. When I wake up in the morning, the happiest day I have, usually most people, it's Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. My most exciting day is a Monday because that's when I get to refresh and start over and to really kind of push other projects forward to make sure that my impact is um, meaningful and that my impact is not about me, but my impact actually exceeds far beyond me. 
And um, that's uh, the most important thing I think that I could accomplish in my art practice. Wow. So next for you is the project with David Adagi. He just, he is the architect for the African-American Smithsonian. I'm doing a project with him right now in um, Newark, New Jersey. So it's going to be a huge project. And we've been working on that now for over a year. But come next year, that'll be, we'll start the work. We'll start um, breaking ground. But also, Connect Bradington. Oh, I forgot to tell you, I also have a project in Cuba. So we will be the first, we'll be the first flight out after the embargo lift. And um, we'll be working with uh, some Cuban children and uh, we'll have an actual installation. That one is also going to have less restrictions, meaning that I don't have to have a plan and I don't going down there. I just know we're going to be creative. So in the David Adagi? Yes. And that breaks ground in Newark. Tell us what your role is. My role is I'm doing a sculpture piece that we will be, it's a a large um, public art installation that is a reflection of the city of Newark. And is the Cuba one, then is that part of a collaborative? That that actually is. Um, so in that particular one, I know I'm just going there to be creative. I don't really know what I'll be doing when I'm there yet, though. I have a group of kids to work with while I'm there, and we have a space. And that's what I love about art, too. After you um, have enough creative successes, people trust you to do it ever with whatever space. So it's nice. And that'll be a really great one because I think that to be able to um, communicate with the Cuban people will be a experience and a really good one because I think that we should have had this exchange a long time ago. And it's nice that we get to have it in our lifetime. So is that uh, a project that you initiated or is it uh, sponsored by... That is a sponsored project and... um, a project that is in furtherance of pushing education and connections between Tampa Bay City and Cuban people. So it'll be a interesting, an interesting exposure. And then also I would like to start to push um, Labyrinth in the Sky. I think that that's going to be my next real push of a series. So where would we see the next Labyrinth, do you think? Ooh, that one is interesting. I guess I would say the sky's the limit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I thank you very much for your time today. I think this has been a delightful conversation. Oh, this has been amazing. Thank you again for inviting me here. And um, I think that this is an amazing thing that you guys are putting together. This collaboration can't help but to breathe inspiration into everyone's world. So thank you both. You've been listening to Arts In, the Creative Pinellas podcast, sponsored in part by the Pinellas County Board of County Commissioners, Visit St. Petersburg Clearwater, and the State of Florida Department of Cultural Affairs. Arts In is produced by Matt and Sheila Cowley, our wonderful production team, and you can hear more of their great work and some wonderful conversations with visual, literary, and performing artists at our website, creativepinellas.org. This is Barbara St. Clair. Thank you for listening.